Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to uh, the book, the letter to Philemon. Uh, we're going to be starting a new sermon series. The next three weeks, we're going to be spending it on this small, short letter that Paul sends to his good friend Philemon. It's sandwiched, if you're having trouble finding it, it's sandwiched between Titus and Hebrew. Likely, it only takes up one page in your Bible. Uh, the sermon today probably takes up more words than the letter does, but we're going to spend the next three weeks on it because even though it is short and concise, there is a lot for us in God's word, and particularly this letter to Philemon, much for our instruction. Uh, we're going to spend, uh, as I said, the next three weeks on this letter, which Christians throughout church history have called one of the most charming letters ever written. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If it was up to me, I probably wouldn't have picked this letter. Uh, it was a sign to me, but thank God for it, because as I was reminded this week by one of my brothers, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for us. Amen? Uh, it's a difficult letter, mainly because Paul's trying to get to a point in a, in a very wise and diplomatic way. But God has much for us this morning. So please open it up to Philemon. Uh, the last number of months, my wife Natalie and I have been watching Chicago Fire. Some of you might be familiar with that. It's a great show. I've learned a lot about firefighting. Um, no desire to be a firefighter. But this show has this frustrating tendency to stretch its story arcs over its sister shows. So it starts with Chicago Fire into Chicago PD into Chicago Med, sometimes Law and Order. The frustrating thing is I have no time to watch all those other shows. So sometimes I'm jumping into an episode with no context of what's come before, and I have no idea what will happen next, because by the next episode, it's continuing with its own thing. And I have no time to watch the other shows. Reading Philemon is like jumping into just that middle episode. There's a lot of context that's missing and things that we have to figure out and piece together from just the details that we find in this letter. And there's a lot that we don't know regarding the results after this letter. Sometimes in Paul's other letters, we find out that the church that he writes to follows his instructions and we see the beautiful results. But we're missing a lot of that. But here's what we do know concerning this letter. Philemon, the friend that Paul is writing to, is a wealthy businessman. He likely encountered Paul in Ephesus and was, was converted to Christ through Paul's preaching of the gospel. Philemon then labors together with Paul, likely going on some of his missions trips, and helps to establish and lead the church in Colossae. At some point... 
for an unknown reason, Onesimus, one of Philemon's household slaves, wrongs Philemon, probably steals from him, and then runs away. Through God's strange and yet kind providence, Onesimus ends up in Rome where Paul is imprisoned. And through Paul's preaching of the gospel, because nothing can stop his preaching, even prison, Onesimus is converted to Christ as well. And then during his time with Paul, Onesimus becomes a co-worker with Paul to the level of being useful to him like Timothy was. In fact, Paul writes the letter to uh, the church in Colossae, the letter of Colossians, and sends it with Onesimus to them. Onesimus becomes useful to Paul in his labor for the gospel. Paul, realizing now that Onesimus is a brother in Christ and seeing the tension because of Onesimus and his wrong against Philemon, writes this letter to Philemon, sends it back with Onesimus back to Philemon in Colossae with the goal that they would be reconciled to one another, not just because of the wrong that Onesimus has done, but because now they're brothers in Christ and that tension needs to be resolved. Onesimus needs forgiveness, and Philemon needs to forgive. And this is the issue that Paul is trying to accomplish in this letter. But like clearing the rocks from a field to make planting and seeding more productive and effective, it would be wise of us to take a moment to clear the field of some of the frustrations that arise from one of the difficulties that we see in this letter, the subject of slavery. It's often the reason why this letter is neglected or avoided, both in the pulpit and in the pews. But like making sure that our glasses have the right lenses or that we have the right prescription so that we can see clearly, we need to make sure that we're reading this letter not with modern lenses, but with ancient biblical world lenses. See, the slavery that is the background of this letter is better described as indentured servitude. That's why the ESV translates it for us as bondservant. And there's a footnote for you there that should take you to the preface of the ESV that describes that for you. See, a bondservant would sell themselves into slavery to serve a master for a set period of time to either pay off a debt or to avoid poverty. Once that time was up and that debt was paid, they were legally declared a freed man. Now, though there were severe limitations on their freedoms as a bondservant, in the ancient world, they could occupy a whole host of occupations. Sometimes these individuals would occupy jobs such as doctors, teachers, officials, household managers. However, at the same time, just like modern slavery, there was forms of Roman slavery that were extremely brutal. Now, the question that may arise for us at this point is, why then does Paul not address this directly in this letter? Well, a couple reasons that I might posit to you. One, the call to release all the slaves in the ancient world might not have been the positive good that we think it might have been. See, for them, there was no other means of making a living. It would have condemned most of them to poverty and starvation. 
This is, in fact, one of the reasons why Paul, when writing to Christian masters, doesn't necessarily instruct them to free them, but to treat them and love them with the self-giving love of Jesus Christ. Secondly, at this point in church history, the Christian church is it's in its infancy. They had zero political influence. In fact, Paul is writing here from prison for preaching the gospel. So if he was to push for the abolition of slavery or indentured servitude, it would have brought even greater wrath from the already hostile Roman authoritarian government. This is one of the reasons why the New Testament doesn't address certain societal sins directly, but it does address it indirectly, like seeds that are planted when, when blossomed bear great fruit, the New Testament addresses these things indirectly. The Bible clearly condemns elsewhere the hatred of others based on race or ethnicity. It condemns man-stealing or forceful subjugation. It upholds the dignity of all men, for they're all made in the image of God. And it calls for us to view others as brothers and sisters, which is completely inconsistent with owning them. Like a little leaven in dough, the gospel's influence in the covenant community of the church produces a new way of life which spreads and spills out into society. As the gospel transforms then individuals, they address the social injustice in their own life, and then it spills out into public life where they call out injustice there as well. We should praise God. Why? Because though the implications of the gospel couldn't be fully played out in the ancient Roman world, Christianity's teaching on this subject has been so successful that basically nobody today would affirm the goodness or inevitability of slavery today. We praise God for that. And it's not something that we should take for granted because nearly every culture in recorded history had slavery that they affirmed as good. But only where Christ's teaching, even in its seed form, took root, it produced freedom and, and love for brothers and sisters. Now, friends, this reality should encourage us to be patient Why? Because the transforming work of the gospel on society happens not through revolution or a radical tearing down of institutions, but it's incubated in the church, the context of the covenant community where the gospel is regularly taught, it's read, it's preached, it's lived out seriously, which then spills over into society and into community, and it transforms them as well. So then, we do not ignore the need around us. Please be clear, that is not what I'm saying. We get involved as we are able. But the priority of the church is the proclamation and the living out of the gospel, which alone, Paul says, is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? With all that being said, and those rocks removed from the field, the subject of slavery is not the point of this letter. The point of this letter is how the gospel, which saves us, 
brings us together and creates this new covenant community, a family where we're truly able to say to the brothers and sisters around us, we belong to one another. The gospel does this. And in this new reality, this this covenant community that's created dictates then how we relate and act towards one another. In the passage today then, as Paul greets Philemon, this is what he reminds him of. The faith that Philemon possesses, which was produced in him by the gracious work of the Spirit, moves him towards action, towards his brothers and sisters in Christ. The point is that faith is personal, yes, but faith is never private. What Paul wants us to see, and the point of the passage today is this, genuine faith pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. Genuine faith pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. So let's read the passage this morning. I'm going to encourage us to stand. A couple of our guest speakers over the summer started this tradition, and I thought, why not? Let's keep this going. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Philemon, starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for how you have already ministered to our hearts and prepared us to hear your word through our singing. We pray that as we turn to your word, that your spirit would delight to make clear to us what you have for us this morning. That it is you who seeks to feed and teach your people. And and I'm just an instrument. And so, Lord, I pray that, that the words that you want your people to hear and to have, that you would speak that you would feed your people who are needy this morning, that you would accomplish the task that your word sets forth. Be with us, we pray. Help us in our need. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As I said, the point of this passage is that genuine faith pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. Genuine faith pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. Family. That's what Paul establishes from the very beginning of this letter. Did you see? Look at verse 1 again with me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, I want to quickly pause there for a moment because there's something there I don't want us to miss. Notice how Paul addresses himself. A prisoner. 
This is not typical. If you've read Paul's other letters, he normally and typically addresses himself by his calling, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. What Paul is teaching us here is that in some situations, there's more strength in appeal over command. There's more strength in appeal over command. Paul doesn't lean on his authority as an apostle to get things done. Instead, as Martin Luther said, Paul empties himself of his rights as an apostle to compel Philemon also to waive his rights. Now, this should instruct us how, as friends, as employers, as parents, as pastors, as leaders, it's tempting to lean on our authority to get things done because we know what needs to get done. It's quicker, it's faster. It would get things done quickly. But the example that Paul gives of appealing to the heart shows us that the priority is for the person that we are instructing to act out of of freedom from their hearts and their affections being convinced rather than their will being coerced or forced. That's the priority. Because if you convince the heart, you have won them over. But to force them to do something, you might get it done, but you haven't won that person. The priority then is to empty yourself of your rights so that you can convince that person. It will take patience and wisdom. Because Paul spends a whole letter trying to do just one thing. But it will be worth it if we take the time because you have won your brother. Now let's get back to verse one. Timothy, our brother, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and he calls him later in verse seven, our brother, my brother, to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. What Paul wants us to see is that God has taken Paul, a legalistic Pharisee, and Philemon, a pagan idolater, and his family, and has brought them together and made them a family through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. People who would have never been together have been brought together and made into one family. Christian, when God saved you, he did not leave you to yourself. God joined you to his people, a new family. Joined not because of your common origin or common interest, but because of a common salvation. This is why, in fact, Paul, when he continues his greeting, the next person he addresses is the church that meets in your house. Now, most of us would be shocked to read this. This is a personal issue. Paul is writing to Philemon, but this letter, in the ancient world, there's no such thing as silent reading. This letter would have been read to the whole church. All of his brothers and sisters were listening in. Talk about pressure. Philemon alone had the right, under Roman law, to punish and kill Onesimus. Because Paul implies, even in verse 18, that Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some way. But the gospel compels him to forgive and receive Onesimus. What Paul understood and what he wants us to understand 
is that sometimes our ability to do the right thing, to exercise our virtue, is more often than not needing the encouragement and the counsel of our brothers and sisters around us. So that's why the church gets involved. Here's a practical thing that it means for us then. It is wise to seek the counsel of others in the church in decisions that we might think are private or personal. Decisions like, should I move to that new city? Should I take that new job? Should I get married to that person? Should I sell that property? Should I forgive that person? These issues that we think are personal and private, Paul is showing us here that it's important because we're weak. Sometimes our brother and sister down the pew has greater resolve to help you forgive that person than you do. We need our virtues stirred up by our brothers and sisters in the church. Don't try to do things or figure things out on your own. Why? Because your brothers and sisters love you and they care for you. You're not on your own. Let the church, the members, the fellow members of this new covenant community family help you in this. And this family, the church, Paul says, has been formed by God through the power of the gospel. Look at verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The summary of the gospel is the reality that Philemon, the church that we have already experienced in the gospel, the extraordinary unmerited grace of God the Father in the giving of the gift of his divine son, the peace that we now experience with God because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We have experienced this grace. And this grace that we have experienced is the grace that we should then extend and let our lives be marked with. It should be the evidence in all of our relationships with one another. This is what Paul is telling Philemon to remember. Grace and peace has already been extended to you. Onesimus might have wronged him, but there's an opportunity for peace if Philemon extends the grace that he has already experienced in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the reality is this. Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. When we understand the grace that we have received, we will offer grace to others also and pursue peace as far as it depends on us. Why? Because Christ did the same for us. So Paul, having greeted Philemon, his household, and the church, Paul gives thanks and prays for Philemon. Look at verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. When Paul says, when I remember you, don't think of this as this haphazard, whenever you come to mind, which I'm prone to do, no, what Paul is showing here when he says, remembering you in my prayers, this 
what is being communicated is this intentional bringing people before God and asking God to work on their behalf for their good. It's a very intentional thing. He's not just going about his day, Philemon comes to mind and he prays. No, he has a list that he's praying for. And if you read all of Paul's other letters, this list would have been long. Paul prays for these people intentionally. What a, what a rebuke and yet an encouragement to us in our prayer lives as we pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith. This would have been an encouragement, an incredible encouragement for Philemon. Because every time Paul prays for Philemon, he says, thank you, God. He says, thank you, God. Why? Look at verse five. Because, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul praises God and gives him thanks because, and this is our first point, because genuine faith is expressed in love for the saints. Genuine faith is expressed in love for the saints. Paul earlier calls Philemon his fellow worker, which implies that Paul had some sort of experience with Philemon in the past. Perhaps they went on a missions trip together and helped convert people to, to Christ and planted churches along the journey. And now at this point, Philemon's back in Colossae being one of the leaders of the church there. This implies that Paul knows, his, knows Philemon and his character, but what he praises God for is that Philemon hasn't changed. Philemon continues to show his love for the saints, and Paul, all the way in Rome, in prison, hears about it. He hears about Philemon, maybe even from Onesimus. Maybe his, the, the one who had wronged him testifies of his master's goodness about his strong faith in Christ and his love for all the saints. Philemon's faith, which is produced in him by the gracious work of God in his life, is evidenced and expressed in love for all the saints. Like the sun naturally produces warmth and light, a real genuine faith in Christ the Son naturally produces warmth and love for the saints. You can't have one without the other. A love for God and a love for others is what makes a whole Christian. Amen. There's no such thing as half a Christian. Yeah. What Paul says here is a great test for us to apply to our own lives. Do we love the saints? Do we love the saints? Saving genuine faith is more than intellectual assent. It's more than agreeing to a doctrinal statement. Genuine faith is the fertile soil which produces here, as Paul says, a love for God's family. The gospel transforms us and enables us to love others who are so unlike us. Now, as an encouragement, there are many in this church family where if Paul was writing to you and praying for you, would say, thank you, God. Why? Because you serve one another. You pray for one another. You celebrate each other's joy. You mourn each other's losses. You do what you can to meet the practical needs in the lives of one another. You extend forgiveness quickly and cover mistakes and sins with grace and love. Paul says, thank God for you. 
And yet there's others of us, if we take a moment to be honest and look inside, we see a lack of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, a lack of extending grace, a holding on to bitterness, a lack of desire to be with God's people. This might be a sign that either the gospel hasn't taken root or that the weeds of sin and pride are choking out gospel growth in your life. But the encouragement and the gospel hope is that this kind of love is not produced in our own strength. It is a natural byproduct of our union with Christ. We are only able to do this as we walk in the grace that we have received in dependence on the Spirit. Now Philemon, his faith overflows in love for the saints, which is why Paul gives thanks to God. He says, every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. It's this virtue of love, which Philemon shows to all the saints without discrimination, that Paul banks on, because he's going to ask Philemon to show that same love to a new saint in Onesimus. But Paul's prayer isn't finished. He also intercedes for Philemon. Look at verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Genuine faith is expressed in love for the saints, but as we see here, genuine faith is also matured in community with the saints. Genuine faith is matured in community with the saints. Now, verse six I spent time studying it. All the commentaries say this is probably one of the hardest verses that Paul wrote. It's a little confusing. If you look at five different translations, English translations, you'll get five different sentence constructions. But the key word that helps us here, translated in the ESV as sharing, is the Greek word koinonia. And that word helps us, why? Because instead of the idea being sharing your faith, this idea of evangelism, koinonia communicates the idea of fellowship or mutual participation that results from faith. What Paul is saying here is that when we come to Christ, it produces this intimate fellowship or participation in each other's lives where we are supernaturally joined to one another, both in the universal and local church where naturally, on the natural worldly level, with people that we would never know and love. When we come to Christ, we are bound to one another. And Paul prays that as Philemon, as we press into this fellowship, he prays that it would be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Difficult sentence. But Alistair Begg helps us here with his paraphrase. He says this, My prayer is that your fellowship with us in our common faith may deepen the understanding of all the blessings that our union with Christ brings. I'm going to read that again. My prayer is that our fellowship, that your fellowship with us in our common faith may deepen the understanding of all the blessings that we have 
in our union with Christ. What Paul is saying is that our fellowship, our communion with one another is one of God's ordained means for us to grow into and participate in all of the spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Christ. Christian brother and sister, here's what that means for you, for us, that we need one another. We need one another. Like Paul says elsewhere, we're but individual members of one body. We all have our own God-given strengths, gifts, perspectives, experiences. But when they are brought together, they make the local body, the whole body, into one. It rounds each other out. Each believer, then, is indispensable for the body's maturity and participation in God's blessings for us. Every member, then, is a kind gift of God to each one of you. Each member is a kind gift of God because it results in our greater experience of God's blessing that is ours in virtue of our union with Christ. Alternatively, this means that when the believer against this call of mutual participation pushes into individualism, when we decide not to come to church, when we decide not to fellowship, when we decide not to participate, we rob ourselves and we rob from our brothers and sisters the experiential knowledge of God's goodness, the blessings that we have in Christ. We're taking away what could be ours in Christ Jesus. Coming together is God's ordained means of you experiencing your blessing in Christ Jesus. The nurturing and the maturation of our faith happens in mutual fellowship with God's people. What Paul is doing here, he's wisely, slowly taking time to set up for his ask that he will make later, the forgiveness of Onesimus. Paul is wise because he's reminding Philemon, even before he mentions the name of Onesimus, that the Christian faith produces love for the saints without distinction, and that the Christian faith depends on the fellowship of all the saints for our experience of God's blessing to us, for our maturity in Christ. Because Paul knows that Onesimus, now being one of the saints, needs to be received in love. Because if Philemon has true, genuine faith, he should extend love to the saints. Onesimus, being one of the saints, then is instrumental and indispensable for that church's joy and union in Christ Jesus. Paul saying, Philemon, church in Colossae, you want greater blessing? Here's Onesimus. Take him in. You want greater blessing, welcome your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're essential for your experience of Christ's blessing, virtue of your union in Christ. Now you'd think Paul is doing all this because he's concerned. He's trying to set or butter Philemon up so that the ask slides in a little bit better into his mind. But Paul isn't concerned. No, Paul is confident that Philemon will receive Onesimus. Why? Because Philemon is already a man who does all these things. Look at verse seven. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brothers, 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon has a track record of benevolence and kindness to his fellow saints. And these acts of love are so over the top, like the calm at the end of the storm. They breathe new life and refresh the hearts of weary saints around him. And this causes Paul to rejoice. Why? Because Paul knows that what he's about to ask for is unheard of in the ancient world. To receive back a former slave, and not just as a former slave, to receive him back as a brother in Christ Jesus, as an equal, unheard of. But Paul is confident. Why? Because he, th- he knows that Philemon hasn't changed, and he won't change. He'll continue to be a man who acts in love towards the saints, in this case, particularly towards Onesimus. And he'll continue then, because of his love towards the saints, continue to refresh the heart of Paul. Friends, brothers and sisters, the confidence that Paul has in Philemon, that Philemon won't change and that he will continue to show love and abound in grace and benevolence and kindness to someone who has sinned against him, fades in comparison to the confidence that we have that Jesus, the only one who truly never changes, will abound in mercy, love, and kindness towards us who are sinners. This is the confidence that we have that when we come to Jesus in repentance and humility that we will never be turned away. This is the grace that we experience ongoing in the gospel. In fact, it is this gospel which produces genuine faith in Philemon, which makes the ask that Paul is about to make possible. This grace is the fuel for the ask. Because this grace produces a genuine faith that, produces, that pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. This gospel, where we have the confidence that Jesus will never turn us away, is the fuel for a genuine faith that pursues genuine fellowship with God's family. See, Philemon... He's able to forgive, and he's able to extend love and to receive Onesimus back, as Paul will say later in verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. He's able to do that. Why? Because Philemon, because Paul, because we, the brothers and sisters of this church, have experienced Christ's love, because we've been reconciled and received by God, and and we hear Jesus say to us similarly, as he says in John 15, no longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. We love because Christ first loved us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this little book, this little letter to Philemon, just a 300-word letter that instructs us so much. And this morning concerning our faith, we pray that you would produce in us a faith that is marked 
and is, is testified of Philemon, a, love, a, a faith that loves the saints, a faith that presses into fellowship, a faith that presses into communion and community with the saints. But we would recognize that this is only possible because we have been received first by you, that we have sinned in a greater manner against you, the God of heaven but you have received us back because of the work of Christ Jesus. That whatever we owed was paid on Christ's account. That he receives us no longer as servants, but as friends. So we pray that the grace that we have experienced would flow out into our lives in a love for those around us. Be with us now as we now sing of the the gospel which has saved us, the grace that motivates us to love one another. Would you be honored, we pray in Christ's name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.